Amen. Hey, uh, we're in a series um, uh, titled, again, One, and we're one church uh, going through one book of the Bible. What I mean by one church is that uh, we are connected together. We have a, a location in Shreveport. We have a location here. And um, uh, how many knows that it's important to be, as Pastor David said a moment ago, be in relationship in regards to inside of the church? How many believes that's important? That's one of the reasons that we do um, life groups. We believe in them 110%. But also, it's important for churches to be in relationship. Thank you for that overwhelming response. (laughs) But it is. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in regards to the early church. You can see the early church. See it there very clearly and plainly in the in the early church. And and so um, in in this, we we decided and we felt like it was really important that we go through this series for a couple of reasons. Number one is that um, statistically speaking, most Christians don't read their Bible anymore. That they, 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 don't, they don't read their Bible anymore. And really, the truth is, that's a problem. Can somebody say amen to that? And so I'm not going to ask you, anybody here, to raise your hand and tell me how much they read the Bible. Because, you know, that's between you and the Lord. But I can tell you this. If you'll get in the Word, the Word will get in you. If you'll get in the Word, the Word will get in you. And the significance of that is this. When the Word of God gets in you, that's when true and lasting change begins to take place. You can come to church and you can experience some change. You can be in God's presence and certainly be changed in God's presence. But there's nothing that will change you and transform you into the real you, the, the, the you that God designed and God wants you to be like the Word of God. Amen? And so we, we encourage you, get get in the Word. So we're doing this so it, just to create a healthy habit. And another reason that we're doing this is uh, one of our values is unity. And we felt like that being able to come together uh, in the churches, our two locations, and we're all on the same page together every single week, reading and going through the book of Ephesians, uh, it would be a great way to add to the unity that God desires for us to have. How many of you believe and understand that unity doesn't happen by accident, unity is created? You, you create unity. And one of the things that, this, that the enemy loves is the enemy loves to, for there to be fractures. And he loves for there to be separation. That just a lot of what Pastor Dave was talking about a moment ago in regards to um, uh, the, the season that we're in, out. I don't know where we are in this season right now. But I know this. We're coming through as far as uh, the COVID stuff. Amen. We're going to come out this, the other side, stronger and better. But, but that's one of the things that's, that was accomplished with, the, with this is that it's just fractured. You know, a lot, lot, of, um, a lot of believers. And a lot of believers have, have kind of drifted away from, uh, uh, from, from church and being connected. So we believe it was a great opportunity to create unity. Amen? And so uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 3. Hello? Hello? Okay. Ephesians chapter 3. And so um, I want to jump into chapter 3. But before I do, I want to talk a little bit about the guy that wrote the book. How many ever heard of a guy by the name of Paul? The great apostle Paul. Well, before he took on the name Paul. His, his name was Saul. And one of the most significant things in, by, in the Bible, one of the most significant moments in the Bible was his conversion. So, so I don't know if you know very much about his life pre- previous to conversion or you, you may like, I don't even know who Paul is. Well, just hang on. I'll tell you. And so, so, um, before his conversion, before he met Jesus, uh, Saul was an up and coming, um, 
basically a Pharisee in the Jewish, the Jewish nation and the Jewish leadership. And so he was on the fast track to be a great leader in the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish community. And so uh, he was persecuting Christians. The, the church had already been birthed. The church was early on uh, in its infancy as far as the, the, the church is concerned. And so it, the church is moving along at a pretty decent pace as far as expansion and movement. And then, um, then Saul, this Pharisee that was trying to stop what God had started. How many of you know it's not smart to try to stop what God starts? <laughs> So, so he has this encounter with Jesus uh, on the road to Damascus, and that was that, that most theologians, and I agree with them, that was that was the point of his conversion. In other words, there was a shift in his life, and not only was it a shift in his life, but it was a major shift in the church. And the expansion of the church and the progress of the church. I would say this, there was a, after his conversion, you can see it in in the Bible, you can see it in church history. There was a major surge following his conversion. And I mean, I would rank it right up there with the, the beginning of the church. I mean, that was a big deal. But also, again, his conversion was a, was a big deal. And so he learned something that day on the road to Damascus that I, I wish and I hope that every single believer understands and embraces and believes. He learned this. He learned that Jesus had a plan for his life. Just like Saul, just like Paul, God, Jesus has a plan for your life. And I'm going to tell you, you will never be more satisfied than when you're doing what God has called you to do. Can somebody say amen to that? You'll never have a greater sense of fulfillment than when you're walking out God's plan for your life. It just won't, it just uh, will not happen. And, and so he began to live out this plan and he wrote about responsible for writing about two thirds of the New Testament. If you have, if you have a Bible and you, you put together the New Testament in your hands and you're holding the pages together, he wrote about two thirds of it. And, and, and another, there's another thing that's very interesting and important that you understand this. It's super, super important that you get this when you read his letters. Because if you don't understand this, his letters, his writings really won't make a lot of sense, okay? But, 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 but God gave Saul, that went on to be Paul, he gave him a revelation that was different. He gave him a revelation of the cross that was way different than any other revelation in the history of mankind. His revelation wasn't the first revelation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but it was way different than any other of the revelations that were released by God over time. You see, there are different views of the cross. There's what I like to call the prophetic view, the prophet view. That was from Genesis to Malachi. There are uh, just over 300 prophecies about the death, burial, and resurrection. And so when when you look at the prophecies in the Old Testament and you look at the cross, they're like from the 30,000-foot view. They're pretty vague, right? But then there is a another there is another uh, view. I call it the gospel view. That's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's that's what they recorded and what how they saw and what they understood about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I like to say it this way: the gospel view, the prophets' view, are kind of like X-rays. How many ever had an X-ray before? Okay, three of you. None of you have had, broken any bones. Had X-rays. Everybody's like. I just want to go eat lunch afterwards. I don't care about it. But, but if, 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 if we could go back in time, let's say 50 years ago, and I had an, an injury to my hand, and they went, went to the doctor, and they x-rayed my hand. What they're going to do is they're going to take the x-ray, they're going to get the film, and they're going to put the film up against um, a lit background, and you're going to be able to see the bones on the inside of my hands. 
All right. Let's say we fast forward. I have the same issue, but I go to the doctor today and they they take images of my hand. You know what? It's the same hand, but there's going to be a difference in the x-ray. There's going to be a difference in the view. And you know what the difference is? Details. That today, because of the technology that we have over, uh, differs from 50 years ago, and the difference is I can see, we can see details that you couldn't see 50 years ago. The same thing is true in regards to this revelation thing that I'm talking about. Because, because the Gospels, when, when they see the, the most significant thing in the history of mankind, the death, burial, and resurrection, is there anybody here that's thankful of the cross this morning? Is there anybody here that's thankful that Jesus came to the earth, that he died, and he rose again? All right? But it's not enough for us. I don't think it's, I don't think it's wise of us. I'll say it this way. I don't think it's wise of us just to, just to just say, I'm thankful for the cross. We should be, and we'll always be, should be thankful for the cross. We'll always be thankful for the cross. But, but the truth is, we need to determine that we're going to look into the details of the cross because you know what you're going to find? You're going to find every single answer to humanity's problems. Every single answer. But the Gospels were a little bit different. The view was a little bit different. Let me, let me just explain. Let me just say it this way. Let me, give you, let me give you an example. So in John chapter 12, 32, Jesus is talking about the cross. And he makes this statement about the cross. John 12, 32, he's talking about what is to come in his life and what's going to happen to him. He said, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Now, how many of you know that's true because Jesus said it? So Jesus, he's talking to the disciples and he said, all right, guys, when I am lifted up on the cross, I'm going to draw everyone to myself. Now, often what happens is we've used that scripture as a praise and worship scripture. How many ever used? No, don't, no, no, don't raise your hand. How many ever heard that scripture used as a praise and worship scripture? In other words, if we just lift up the name of Jesus, day, we'll lift up Jesus day with our worship. He's going to draw everybody to himself. Everybody listen to me. That is not a praise and worship scripture. Because that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, is say, Jesus said it was true when he said it. And so you, you fast forward a little bit. He's hanging on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus makes one of several statements. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember that one? So he's hanging on the cross and he's crying out, God, why, why have you forsaken me? So what's happened is, is that what Jesus said and predicted in John chapter 32 is actually happening in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus said again, I'm going to draw men to me. Then in, Ma- in, in, in Matthew 27, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I got a question for you. Did the disciples, or excuse me, the, those who wrote the Gospels, the disciples who wrote the Gospels, did they record when Jesus was hung on the cross, did they record just billions of people rushing the cross and rushing Golgotha that day? No. But you know what happened? It was in that moment. It was in that moment when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what had happened? You know what was taking place? He was drawing every single person to himself. You following this? All right. Then Paul comes along. He comes along and he's got this special revelation. Remember details. That's the difference. Details. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said this. He said, Christ never sinned, 
But God put our sin on him. Is there anybody thankful that God put your sin on him? Are you thankful that God put your sin on Jesus? Are you thankful? Because if you're not, I don't know if you're saved. Because that is how you're saved. You put your faith in the fact that God put your sins on Jesus and Jesus died for your sins. You see, it was at that point. John, again, when Jesus said that, I'm going to draw all men to me. Do you know who was in that crowd from God's perspective? Because Paul's revelation is not just from a natural perspective. Paul's revelation is from God's perspective. And so what God saw When Jesus was lifted up from the cross, what God saw when um, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he saw, you know what he saw? He saw you in the crowd. Jesus was hung on the, Jesus hung on the cross for you. He became sin. Listen to me, for you, that's what God saw. Everybody look at me. Details. And let me tell you how important details are when it comes to this. The enemy loves the gray. He loves it when you're fuzzy about things and you don't understand how God sees you and how God views you. He loves that because wherever there are gaps, he's going to fill those in. Are you following this? So that, that's why, that, that's why, listen, that's why, that's why Paul talked about the gospel. That, 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 that is the gospel. He said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is what? The power of God to who? Those who what? Those who believe. Jew first, then the Greek Gentiles. In other words, he said this stuff will work for anybody because it's for everybody. So let's jump over to uh, chapter 3. Now, I'm, I'm going to teach this morning quite a bit. I'm going to do my best to try not to preach. I'm going to try to teach. <laughs> Sometimes I get a little excited, so, but I'm going to try to teach this morning, all right? So chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, um, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3. Someone said, I thought we were in uh, Ephesians, not Genesis. Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul is really carrying the, the beginning of, um, of the chapter. Paul is really kind of finishing up his thoughts from chapter 2. All right. So he's finishing up his thoughts from chapter two in verse six. It says this mystery, because he's talking about this, the mystery, the revelation. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heir together with Israel, members together of one body and cherished together of the promise in Christ Jesus. Last week, I talked about this at the Shreveport campus from God in chapter two. From God's perspective, we see humanity. Pre-cross, from God's perspective, everybody listen to me. Pre-cross, from God's perspective, pre-cross, from God's perspective, here's how God sees humanity. There were two group, two categories of people from God's perspective. Two categories of people. Now, so when, you, when he looked at all the people, globally, he looked at all the people before the cross. Do you know what he saw? Just two categories of people. Follow this. There were the Jews... And there were the Gentiles. (laughs) Did they have different color skin? Did they have different cultural beliefs? Did they have different uh, cultural norms? Absolutely. God was completely aware of the diversity. But in his heart, his mind, he saw Jews and he saw Gentiles. Those who were in covenant with God and those who were not in covenant with God. That's the only two categories that God saw. 
And so the point of what Paul was making in chapter 2 was God, through the cross, made those two groups one. They made, he made through the cross. One wasn't better than the other because of the cross. One wasn't more valuable than the other. One didn't have more right than the other. God, on the cross, made the Jews and the Gentiles. He, he made them what? One, as we put our faith in him. So what happens about post-cross? <laughs> what we got? We got two categories of people. You say, but no, Pastor John, you, you don't get it. There are over 1,600 different, different ethnic groups on the planet. I, I do understand what you're saying. And God is very well aware of that. But there's only two categories of people on the planet. Are you following this? There are only two. From God's perspective, there are those who are in Christ and those who are not. <laughs> And, and here, here, here's the plan. Those who are not in Christ, we want to get them in Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. That's the plan. It's not complicated. Those who don't know God, who have never received Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who are not in Christ, we want them over here. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Listen, that's the reason Life United, we live and breathe this. We want to help people know God. We want people to find freedom, the freedom that only Jesus can give. We want them to discover why they were created, why were they put on this planet. You know why? Because we want them to step in and begin to make a difference because that's when they truly begin to live. Are you following this? So Paul's kind of wrapping this up. Again, I'm doing my best to teach, okay? So he's wrapping this up in chapter 3, that thought. That's the reason he talked about the differences that, that God made and brought together. So then Paul shifts gears and he goes into, uh, is my clock going? I could go all day. So you guys better get that clock up there. I'm telling you. I don't know how I've been going. I got to see 35 minutes up there, but you guys should probably adjust that because for the sake of everybody in the room. So God, um, excuse me, Paul, he shifts gears here, right? So he shifts gears and, and he, he tells the Christians at Ephesus, he says, I, again, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. When is the last time that you prayed for somebody else? That's what Paul did. Paul didn't request prayer for him. He said, I want you to know. Actually, he, started, he did it in, in chapter 1. But then again, he did it again in chapter 3. He said, I want you to know I'm praying for you. That's a person who loves people and who cares for others more than himself, right? And he said, I'm praying for you. And, and here, here, here is in verse uh, 16. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Is anybody here thankful for the Holy Spirit? Man, we could stay on that one, but I got I to move, right? It says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And here's the point that I want to pull out of this. That your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. That your roots will grow down into what? God's what? And keep you what? Keep you strong. You know, people, we all do this. We all try to, um, what's the word here that I'm looking for? It's like you segment your life, but that's not the word I want compartmentalize that's it we all try to compartmentalize our life don't we we go okay well hey how you doing 
How's life going? Well, I'm doing great. Well, 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 how's your career? Well, it's doing fine. Well, how's the family? Oh, they're doing great. Well, how's your spiritual life? Oh, it's, it's doing fine too. Everybody listen to me. We try to compartmentalize that, but the truth is how you are doing spiritually is how you are doing. And how you're doing spiritually affects every other area of your life. And, and so one of the reasons that Paul was praying here, he was praying that you, we would all be rooted and grounded in what? And rooted, rooted and grounded in what? Is that he's, he, he knows this. He knows whatever is at the, your core affects your life. And so basically what Paul was saying here, he said, I'm praying that God's love would be in your what? The center of your life and that his love drives every single thing you do. Every decision that you make, every um, direction that you go, everything that you say, that this love would be at your core. You know, there, there have been quite a few people, quite a, quite a few Christians that are walking away from the church. There have been a lot of people that just won't even come to the faith today you know it's just shifted and one of the things that i hear one of the things that i'm seeing is that people are saying they've walked away from this or they don't come to christ for this they say that the church is just really not relevant that the bible is really not relevant it's sort of old school it's dated uh we've progressed i mean I just don't like it when people use that terminology. Well, we've progressed. Well, we're progressing all right, but the question is, are we progressing in the right direction? Right? So, so, so this, this, you know, we've progressed beyond that, and it's just not relevant. I, I, I absolutely believe that's one of the greatest lies of the enemy, because the truth is, the truth is, the, the gospel is relevant, because the gospel, everybody listen to this, because the gospel says love should be at the heart, at the core of all of the, all that we do, the decisions that we make, the direction that we go, the judgments that we make, love should be that. And everybody listen to me, this is important, because love will break barriers how many of you know there are some barriers that need to be broken there are some barriers that keep us separate in our homes there are barriers in our marriage there are barriers in the united states we we all are taking sides i'm 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 this political flavor or i'm that political flavor or i'm this identity i'm telling you it's just fractured but the the thing that we need today that is relevant today to the problems today is is if if christians would really begin to take seriously what paul is saying here and, and get god's love in the core of what they do what happens is christians Christians would begin to break barriers that need to be broken. Everybody listen to me. The world cannot break the barriers that need to be broken. Only the church can break the barriers that are separating the nation today. <laughs> I'll give you a great example of this. Jesus. So Jesus... Early part of his ministry, remember, this is pre-cross, so what two categories of people? Jews and Gentiles. Those who have a covenant with God, those who don't, right? 
Jesus was the greatest example of breaking barriers. And if you don't understand some stuff about this, then it, it, it just it just won't click. But I'm going to help. I'm, hopefully, I'm going to bring some clarity about breaking barriers and making decisions and letting that love be the core of your being, right? So Jesus preaches one of his great, greatest messages, his first big one. You know what that one is? It's called the Sermon on the... Right? And, 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 and so, so Jesus steps up to the plate and he preaches like, I mean, Jesus brings it. He's got crowds of people around him. He's got Jews that are everywhere and they're listening to him. And you should go back and read it, Matthew 5 and 6. I mean, I'm telling you, it's powerful. But if you don't really realize what Jesus is doing and what he's going after and what he's announcing as far as this shift that he's brought to the earth, uh, if you don't really understand the dynamics, you won't understand uh, just exactly what Jesus was doing because you have all these Jews there. And Jesus said, for example, he said, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit for what they shall inherit the kingdom. Another thing that he said is, is he said that you said that you should love your neighbors and hate your what? Your enemies. But Jesus said, that's not what I'm here to say. That's not how this new thing is going to roll. This, you know the way this new thing is going to roll? That you don't just love your neighbors and hate your enemies. You also love your enemies. You love them. So he kept, keeps preaching. He talks about where he talks about all these different things. And I like it. I like it. It's like Jesus gets to, he holds the mic, drops the mic and walks away. So he's, I'm on my way to Capernaum. Crowds are following him. He gets to Capernaum. He's there. And, and there is a man that had leprosy. He called out to Jesus or came up to Jesus today. Hey, Jesus. If you can help me, if you can heal me, I'd appreciate it. You know what Jesus did? Jesus is like, sure, I'll heal you. If you can believe it, I'm with you. Let, let's do this thing. So he gets healed. He heals the man. And I'm sure the crowd was like, yes, that man deserved He needed it. But then, everybody watch this. Then the world came to a standstill. Came to a standstill. Because there was a need from a centurion. And that centurion came to Jesus. Now stop right there. When you read that, you're like, he's a centurion. Let me open this up for you. You okay, baby? (laughs) Little new baby up there. Listen to me. About, it was a few decades, about 70 years before this moment, Jerusalem, the Jews were just doing their thing. Everything was great. Life was good. And then there was a Roman general named Pompeia that came in with his crew and he wrecked Jerusalem. He wrecked the city. He even had the nerve to walk into the temple. He walked into the Holy of Holies. He brushed the high priest aside and walked right into the Holy of Holies and said, where is your God? Rummaged the place and left with the stuff. And not only did he leave with the stuff, but he also left with thousands of Jews that would from that point forward be under the oppression of the Roman government. Jews lost their freedom. Then following him, you had guys like Herod that came along. 
And you're talking about ruthless. Herod was a man that was sick in the head because he terrorized the Jews and used the Jews ruthlessly. And you got a centurion that comes. And here's what the centurion said. Watch this. Matthew 8, 5 through 7 says, When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him and asked for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed. Watch this. Suffering terribly. Now watch this. Jesus is a Jew. And he's got Jews all around him. And he's got somebody. He's got somebody that represents the enemy that for decades have oppressed the Jews. Are you following this? And Jesus just got through preaching. He just got through preaching that we don't hate our enemies. We do what? We love our enemies. So what are you going to do, Jesus? Talking about how love breaks barriers. What are you going to do, Jesus? I mean, it's all on the line. And you know what Jesus does? He said, I'll help you. I'll heal you. Your servant. Are you following this? What drove him to do that? His love. Because on paper, that centurion was his enemy. But Jesus said, my kingdom, we don't roll like we used to. And my kingdom, my people loves their enemies. Everybody listen to this. God never intended for just the gospel just to be heard. God has always intended that the gospel be seen. We've got a lot of gospel preaching today. Everybody listen to me. But the gospel has got to be seen in the world. And the core of the gospel is this. That I'm going to love you and I'm going to help you. Even though you may hate me, you may not agree with me. You may not see things the same way I am. I do. I'm still going to love you. Everybody look at me. What would the world be like today if God's people? What would the world be like today if God's people decided that they would have God's love at the core of their being? And God's love drove every decision that they made, every statement that they made, every direction that they went. What do you think would happen? There was a statement that, how long have I been going? I see five minutes and 47 seconds. Okay, but thank you, Pastor David. Pastor like David, I know exactly how long you've been going, about 30 minutes. No, I'm just joking. All right. Where was I? Oh, there was there was a, a statement that was made about um, uh, Paul and I think it was Silas. They came to a this after his conversion. And this is what they said about him. The men that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Do you know what would happen? Not if I believe it's going to happen when the church decides not just to. Be content with hearing the gospel, but making sure the gospel's seen. Do you know what happened? All across America, all across the world, people 
would be saying, these folks are turning the world upside down. Is there anybody here that believes the world needs to be turned upside down? Because if it, if it gets turned upside down the way it is now, it'll be right. It'll be better. So, so I'm going to wrap up with this thought, and I'm going to get through it as quickly as I can. The next thing that Paul prayed um, is that he would also grasp and believe God's, God's power. So God's love and God's power. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. It says, now to him, pay close attention to this part, who is able to do immeasurably more than we all, than, uh, all we ask or what, even what? I, that, that, as I was praying and, and looking at these verses, that just jumped out at me. That phrase, who is able, talking about God, who is able to do. Is there anybody here that believes that God is able to do? some things is there anybody here that god is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine do is anybody thankful that we serve a god that that just really is that big is anybody here has a big imagination let me ask this question is there anybody here that worries okay some people don't have their hands up could here's the mic come and tell us how you do it right all right, because if you if you worry, you've got an imagination. That's evidence that you do have an imagination. You imagine things, okay? But we serve a God who is able to do immeasurably beyond what we ask or can even imagine. God's able to do things. He's able to work, and He's just that big. He's just that great. Habakkuk 1.5 is a scripture that I love because it talks about God's ability and what God desires to do and the fact that he does like to work. He's able and he does. He's not able and just doesn't do. He's able and he does things and it's beyond. It's basically things that can blow our mind. Just that big, that great. God is that big and that God, God is that great. He says, look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded. Watch this, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. I love that because God's like, through the prophet Habakkuk to his people, he was saying, look, I'm going to do something that if I told you what it was right now, you'd be like, no way, God. That could never happen. That is just too big. It's too amazing. God, that, that, that's your God. But ah, I don't think I can believe you could do pull that off. I was reading not long ago about great chess players. I'm not a chess player. Again, I'm, I like, I'm like a domino person. I like dominoes. If I play, I like dominoes. My papa used to make me play dominoes all the time when I was a kid. I just couldn't stand it. He would say, boy, it makes you count good. So, Okay. <laughs> All right, but great chess players, great chess players, they think ten to fifteen moves ahead. In other words, when they make a move on the table, when they make a move, they're actually thinking ten or fifteen moves ahead. Is that not amazing? Sometimes I have a hard time finding my keys. <laughs> right. These guys are thinking so far ahead. 
But you know, God is like that. God's even greater than the chess player because, listen, there's so many times in life that we are thinking God's asking me to do something in this moment or this is not happening or not happening in this moment. But God, God's challenging me to do something right now. Right, look at me. God is not just thinking about that moment. God is actually thinking like 10 or 15 steps ahead. And you got to know that. That God is working even though you may not feel it, even though you may not see it in this moment, you've you got to know that God is working and he's orchestrating things that you're not even aware of to help you and get you to the place that he desires for you to be. You just have to trust that and believe that. So, so God called Paul to go to the Gentiles and preach to the Gentiles. Right? Now, the problem was, the problem was, problem was this, that the Jews were like, we ain't going to the Gentiles. We know we're here and they're over there. This is even after the cross. So after his conversion, Paul goes and he submits himself to the authority at Jerusalem. Everybody look at me. Paul was not like the Lone Ranger. I got a vision and I'm just going to run for it. I'm going to go for it. No, no, no. He connected himself to other believers in Jerusalem. He submitted to them. It was like a teamwork, right? Jerusalem was like the head, the big, the big spot. It was like the spoke, excuse me, the hub and the, and the spokes when the church was growing went out from there. So he, he shows up and, and they're like, you ain't going to be a part of us. You, you killing folks like us. So then there was someone that brought him in and they brought him in after they brought him in. Then they sent him to Tarsus. That's where his hometown. And to teach Sunday school there. Now, he's supposed to be going to the Gentiles, right? And Paul could have stood and said, look, I'm called to go to the Gentiles. I'm going. But he understood being of under good spiritual covering. He understood that. So what he did, they asked him to go to Tarsus, and he went to Tarsus. Meanwhile, Pete, Peter, right? He's chilling out on top of this house one day. And he has a vision. The vision is the sheep coming down from heaven. And, and God spoke to Peter and said, hey, Pete, eat from this. The problem with that was that there were ribs, pork ribs. I'm paraphrasing it, but you get the point. I'm here thankful for some pork ribs. I, I'm so thankful that we're redeemed from the law that we can eat ribs. Praise God. But, but that Jews wouldn't touch that. And Peter's like, no, I'm not going to eat ribs. No, it ain't happening. Goes up, comes back down. That happened three times. And so, so Peter's kind of scratching his head like, I don't know what this means. Knock on the door. He, he opens the door. And there's these folks from uh, this, this, this guy, dude's house named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. And they said, they said, Peter, would you come and, and preach the gospel? We've been hearing about this gospel. Would you come and preach the gospel? So Peter went. Now listen, Peter is going to the Gentiles. Where's Paul at? Paul is over in Tarsus. Paul has no idea what God's doing right here in Peter. But see, God is working some things in Peter. He's working some stuff in Peter and dealing with some things in Peter. Peter steps into the house, the Gentiles' house at Cornelius, uh, 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 Cornelius' house. He steps in, full of Gentiles. He preaches the gospel. Guess what happens? The same thing that happened in Acts 2 to the Jews happened to the Gentiles. You know what happened? For the first time ever, 
The gospel was preached to the Gentiles. Peter said God is no respecter of persons. He loves the Gentiles just as much as he does the Jews. Watch this. Where's Paul? He's supposed to be going to the Gentiles. He's over in Tarsus. So Peter goes back to Jerusalem. He goes back to the authority. He goes back to James and all of them. And he says, hey, I want to tell you what happened to me. I had this vision. I went to the Gentiles' house. I preached the gospel. And the same thing that happened to the Jews, happened, uh, happened to, 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 to us, happened to them. Uh, this is God, guys. They kind of wrestled with it a little bit. And then, that, you know what they said? This is God. The gospel is supposed to go to the Gentiles. And you know what happened then? Everybody watch this. They sent for Paul. And Paul came back and from there stepped into his ministry to the Gentiles. Watch this. If that would have happened any other way, the whole thing would have blown up. Because Peter had the clout to stand to the other Jews and say, This gentleman is of God and we better go with it. Here's my point. God was working all these things out. All this stuff out. And Paul was not even aware of it. Peter was not aware of it. But God was working. God is the same in your life. Whatever God is asking you to do today, just obey God in the moment. Because I promise you, God is thinking 10 or 15 steps down the road and he's orchestrating things that you're not even aware of don't worry about the steps worry about today i don't mean worry i mean be obedient <laughs> let me clarify that be obedient in what god is asking you now i promise i'm closing listen when is the last time you've done what god's asked you to do when's the last time when's the last time you shared your face with somebody when he asked you to do it but you didn't because you're afraid Obey him in the moment because you don't know what God is doing. He's always working and it's immeasurable. It's beyond what we can even imagine or even think. God is always working. He's always working. Would you bow your heads this morning?